There it is, a win for the ages. This is All American, a new series from Stitcher. You realize Tiger Woods doesn't know who he is. Best in the history of golf, no question in my mind. And this season, we're asking. What if the story of Tiger Woods that the media has been telling, what if it's been completely wrong? Season one of All American premieres August 20th. Subscribe or favorite now. Last week, we heard from a few of you about the fun, weird, and often dark world of imaginary friends, how they came to life, how they perished tragically in helicopter crashes. And we also heard from psychology professor Tracy Gleason about how imaginary friends can stick around through middle school and beyond. Although when you get older, usually don't talk about them out loud. Hello, hello. As we were planning out this episode in our story meeting, we could see our show's longtime editor, Peter Clowney, shifting excitedly in his seat over Google Hangout. Well, immediately I felt like someone was eating my family lunch because it's the core thing <laughs> that defines like the clownies. Is these- Peter had this clowny family story that he desperately wanted us to investigate for this episode. You know, the thing about Peter is that he just loves being in front of a microphone. You know how much I hate to do stories about myself or my family? We were like... I don't know, Peter, but he just wouldn't let it go. Please, I'm not even sure if I want you to do this, but if we're talking about imaginary friends, my brother Matthew, he's the king of this. Sorry, can you hear us now? Yes. Wait, is that Peter? It's Matthew. Are you sure? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Here at The Longest Shortest Time, we work with Peter a lot mostly over the phone, so we know his voice. And guys, Peter and his brother sound identical. During the interview, Kristen and I couldn't stop worrying that maybe this whole time it was just Peter punking us. So we Googled Matthew, and he looks sort of like Peter, but from a parallel universe, which is also what it felt like talking to him. What's the age difference between you guys? 13 months. Peter's older. What? Yeah, I wasn't planned. (laughs) Turns out Peter and Matthew know a thing or two about imaginary friends. And Matthew in particular, he takes the concept to a whole new level. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Andrea Salenzi. This week, we're bringing you another imaginary friend story. It's got all the things. It's got a barfing troll, a critter that walks on the bottom of the ocean, a fluffy stuffed egg with a little pink bow. It's about how sometimes the imaginary friends you have when you're little can be pretty great practice for dealing with very real hard stuff as a grown-up. But first things first. This is your chance to tell our listeners something embarrassing about Peter. Oh, but uh, (laughs) I don't want to do that. You guys make the same anguish sounds. This is really driving me nuts. I, I would have wanted to embarrass him for like a short period of time and like, early high school years pretty much since then i've just been so proud to be connected to him and all i want to do is sing his praises i love him so much do you understand oh uh, fine uh, it's not fun i'm sorry <laughs> when did the character start to emerge for you as a kid in your family i mean basically my parents modeled that for us so that that was always just inherent to our our lives when we were in the womb, you know, my father would 
speak in little falsetto voices for us, you know, checking in on the on our status. My mom would ask how we're doing, you know, how are you growing in there? And my father would, you know, oh, I'm doing great. I don't know what he would say, but it was like, <laughs> and so we'd hear those stories all the time. Matthew and Peter's dad was a philosophy professor who played blues harmonica. Their mom was a painter. And everyone in the family was a master improviser. For instance, their mom used to take them on these driving adventures on their couch. She'd, she'd put us on like one of us on each leg. Uh-huh. And uh, we'd take turns, you know, on the driving side. And we'd get to drive and we'd describe where we were going, you know. And, oh, look out for this and look out for that. Oh, and by the way, Peter Clowney, it didn't take your brother Matthew very long to spill the beans about you. Peter took us to go visit Grandmom and then ran her over. Peter Clowney, award-winning editor, perpetrator of imaginary vehicular manslaughter. It's like we were this nonstop improv group, you know? We had this sort of imaginary universe that we created collectively. Like, there were imaginary characters, like, all around the house. Like who? We had, like, a giraffe that lived in the backyard and a hippo that lived in the laundry basket. And the refrigerator had a name. The Clowney family called these critters fantasy characters, and Matthew can't remember a time when they weren't around. But they really took on a life of their own when Peter and Matthew started doing voices. I had a friend at school who did a great Donald Duck impression, and so I came home and tried doing a Donald Duck impression, and my mom just gave me a blank stare. Like (laughs) She clearly didn't recognize that that was Donald Duck. Uh So she says, well, who are you? So I'm obviously I'm not Donald Duck, so I, I I Wonder Duck. And so Wonder Duck became this little superhero character in our life and he traveled the world and he would snorkel. Whoa. Walk across the bottom of the ocean, he'd visit Europe. Matthew's mom immediately jumped in and started riffing with seven-year-old Matthew to help him flesh out Wonder Duck's backstory. Wonder Duck, what do you do for a living? Where did you study? Do you have a girlfriend? Wonder Duck did have a girlfriend. Who was a Peking duck? <laughs> I don't even know. I just knew it was a food thing or whatever. I just, I, I thought it was clever. Peter had fantasy characters too. Most notably, there was a little baby troll named Tui, whose main gimmick was getting sick on car rides and then dramatically barfing all over pedestrians whenever the family pulled up to a stop sign. Tui was the best. Wait, so is, is Peter physically embodying Tui? Is yeah. Peter's being Tui? Peter's being Tui. It was all Peter. There were layers upon layers of Tui the troll and his whole troll world. Matthew and Peter invented the trollish language and would write secret notes to each other. And Tui the fantasy character, he had his own fantasy characters. Like a snake named Marty Python who only lists. He, he only made like... F- and he would like put his hands down at his sides because he's a snake and he'd flop down on my mother's lap like (laughs) Uh and he'd flail about a little bit and basically give her like puppy dog eyes asking for money just to be clear this is a story about my esteemed colleague peter clowney pretending to be a baby troll who was in turn pretending to be a snake named Marty Python, in order to bum money off his mother. But 
don't worry, Peter. Matthew would never want to embarrass you. And it, it worked. My mother would pay up every time. The character who probably left the most lasting impact on Matthew, though, was a little dude named Leonard. That's L-E-N-R-D. Leonard, missing a few vowels. Leonard, like Wonder Duck, started off as an impression gone awry. In, like, junior high, like, seventh grade, my brother and his best friend liked to make fun of their French teacher, and he had this accent that they thought was hilarious. They would just go around at home saying, you know, and... I thought I would try to get in on that, and I tried mimicking that accent too. And again, didn't get it. <laughs> again, everyone turns and looks at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> so I had to like look around and come up with something, and so that was Leonard. Well, what's your name? Uh, Leonard? So Leonard was an active participant in the family. Active participant in the family. <laughs> Leonard is about three feet tall has uh, the face of a classic smiley face with little tiny cat-style ears, and he wears little suspenders. He was like a, an avid Olympian-level uh, ski jumper. Mm-hmm. And um, he dances with <laughs> zero rhythm, and he got me extra servings of ice cream. So how do you discover those details about him? How do you, how do you learn that he's a bad dancer? He, discovery. He, he starts dancing, and there it is. Do the characters feel outside of your control, if that makes sense? Like, did any speak to you guys in ways that you weren't sure where it was coming from? Obviously, I, I understood that it was me sort of channeling a character. But, you know, when my mom would have a conversation with Leonard, uh, Leonard was on his own, and I was just along for the ride. And... I, I never had any idea what Leonard was going to say. I never knew, with the ex- rare exception of like trying to get extra ice cream, which is really a thing that I did as much as I could. Um, <laughs> Leonard did not have ice cream. <laughs> okay, here. But like, if 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 Leonard wasn't sort of in my head, right in the room, and you asked me what Leonard would say, I couldn't tell you. Think about how amazing this is. Matthew had this ability to plug himself so deeply into somebody's world, even a made-up somebody's world, that he didn't even have to think twice about what they'd want or say because it just came to him so naturally. Matthew says that even as a kid, he sensed that this was special, that paying attention to other people's feelings was something that would be really important in his life. And there was another pretty remarkable thing about Matthew's friendship with Leonard. You're now in sixth grade, I'm just guessing. It's like seventh or eighth grade when Leonard shows up. Oh, He's man. with us through college. No. So you're you're 13 years old now. Like, you should actually be getting ready for your first school dances, you know. Oh, yeah. Could you talk yeah. to your friends when you were 13 years old about Leonard? <laughs> I, I don't think I felt a need. I'm not, I wasn't afraid to just be myself wherever and whenever, but like Leonard wasn't a character that would be interesting to somebody who didn't already know all about him. So why would I, the, the kids wouldn't understand or get it or appreciate. So no big deal. But like my parents and my brother, you know, they all got it. So it was, that's where it made sense. That's where it was fun, you know? And I, I didn't 
miss Leonard at school because I was good. I mean, I had terrible time at school, but <laughs> it's a different matter. Like, What were the issues you were having at school? I, I just got picked on all the time. Kids were mean, you know, and I was... I was my I was my open vulnerable self. Like I I didn't hold back. I I didn't try to play it cool. Do you know? If something was awesome, I'd say, "Oh, that's awesome." I was just I was all in wherever I was. And I I don't know, I always had a a real clarity about being safe at home that maybe just allowed that to flourish there. Matthew had all of this extra emotional energy. And he says that, in a lot of ways, the fantasy characters work like a spillover reservoir for all the big feelings and ideas and exuberance that he had. It was a way to explore and work out all the complicated stuff that goes along with being alive. Even better, he could explore it through the perspectives of all these quirky characters, instead of through the eyes of just one plain old person. Coming up, what happens when you bring your romantic partner into your fantasy life? Stay with us. Say advertisement. Advertisement. Good job. (laughs) We're back with Matthew Clowney, who, along with his family growing up, created this epic imaginary friend universe. Matthew got older, moved to Rhode Island, became a professional photographer, Met a girl. Oh, hello. Meet Tracy. We met almost 10 years ago. Um, so it was old school. We met on Match.com. And I was just about at the point when I was done with online dating. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to let my membership run out. And then I got the loveliest email from Matthew. Immediately, I was attracted to her. Matthew knew he was onto something when Tracy sent him a picture of her cat, Nula, with an ugly doll. You know ugly dolls. They're like these stuffed monsters. They're kind of flat. They just have goofy faces and goofy shapes and some have horns and whatever. They're like little monsters, stuffed toys. Anyway, Matthew got this picture. And I was like, oh my God. And I (laughs) fired back a picture of my cat with her ugly doll. (laughs) So I knew I knew right away, like, oh, this is this is a good match. What did you like about him? Uh, Well, he was very kind of open, engaging, sweet, um, inquisitive. She was hilarious and quick, you know? My razor-sharp wit. (laughs) (laughs) Then I went on to learn that she's also extremely talented as a singer and songwriter, and that's also, like, just goes right to the core of my heart. So, yeah, I fell for her so fast. They went on another date, and then another, and soon enough, Matthew knew it was time for Tracy to meet the whole gang. Mom, Dad, Peter, Tui, Leonard, everyone. Were you worried about Tracy being ready for this information? Nope. Why not? I knew she'd get it. You know, I think we had already started with kind of like little voices and characters for the various cats in our lives. (laughs) Nula's character, your cat. She was always a little bit skeptical of me. Yeah. So Nula calls me that guy. <laughs> That's all I've ever been to Nula. She just calls me that yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. She wasn't that excited about our relationship. To this it was day. just me and Nula for a while. <laughs> She's like, so that guy, uh, you going to close the windows or what? Um, but like Tracy had a little uh, 
cardinal nest right outside the window. Oh, she yeah. named all of the babies, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I knew when all of those things were happening that this, this is a person I want to be with, you know? Cause she reminded you of your mom. <laughs> like, sorry. Oh no. <laughs> I'll tell you what, th- that, the, this just went into a weird sorry, place. Sorry, that was a joke, Nick. We really no, but it's funny. No, but 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 the the specific thing that my mother brought into my life, and I want to perpetuate and carry on and pass on to future generations, is this like playfulness and creativeness. Because that's what family feels like to you. Is play? Yeah, the ability to play together, right? Matthew and Tracy let this idea simmer that maybe they could expand their improv troupe of two. But they weren't sure yet if they were financially stable enough to start a family or if they wanted to give up the freedom they had without kids. And so we kind of, we went back and forth and back and forth. And then finally, like the the clock was kind of ticking. And so we decided, well, we'll just kind of give it a go and we'll see what happens. And we started trying and we got pregnant just a couple months after that. And, you know, from there, a, a little switch kind of flipped and we were really excited about the the pregnancy and you know just kind of planning for this whole life ahead we um you know we ha- we had an app for uh tracking the the growth you know your fetus is the size of a grain of sand the size of a whatever and we gotten up to blueberry and we started calling her blueberry at about um nine weeks in we we had a we had a loss so I had a missed miscarriage, which means that you don't start bleeding, you don't have the physical signs of a miscarriage, but we went in for our first ultrasound and found out that there was no heartbeat for the baby. So that was obviously really hard and just kind of just a very, very deep grief and sadness. I'm so sorry that happened. Yeah. I mean, it happens to so many people, too. I I was angry that I hadn't heard people talk about that experience in the everyday before we went through it. I mean, I understand it's hard, you know? I understand a lot of people don't want to relive the thing that was so painful. But, like, I wish... I wish somebody had told me how immediately connected you are to the baby growing inside, you know? I'd never heard anybody talk about how weird it is to, while still barely being able to see any difference in your, in your body, you know, um, to know that that, babies in there and to feel like a parent at least a parent in waiting but to feel that like deep love that like real commitment and then to have it taken away from you ugh, it happens so often but also like it's so much more intense than people let on and we didn't see it coming we were completely blindsided the the nurse was doing the ultrasound and looking back I now realize this would have been an immediate giveaway 
but she was she started asking us about our like jobs. <sighs> and we were just answering, you know. And then she left and said the doctor would be in in a minute. And he comes in and uh, that whole thing was so weird. And I, I spent months like thinking, why does she have to not tell us? And because you wish she told you the moment she realized that would have felt more respectful. It's like she was playing pretend with you, but in the opposite way from the way that you like. Yeah. You like to play pretend so that you can feel things more, not less. That's beautiful. I don't like the pretend play to manipulate. Tracy and Matthew still call the baby Blueberry. Matthew even got Tracy a little blueberry necklace. After the miscarriage, they suddenly knew for sure that they were serious about becoming parents together. Tracy started doing acupuncture, and a friend suggested she go see a reproductive endocrinologist. And so we, you know, got all sorts of blood tests. Um, Matthew had a semen analysis. And, you know, then the results started coming back, and it wasn't great news on on my end specifically. On and, our end, in your body. <laughs> you're right, on our end, <laughs> in my body. Um, and so I have, like, the what I was diagnosed with is diminished ovarian reserve and, you you know, then got into the whole universe of ovulation tests and uh, basal body temperature and egg white cervical mucus, <laughs> you know, all of these things that I was like, wow. And, you know, one thing about trying for so long to have a baby is that, um, you know, it's very repetitive. And there's this way in which, you know, every month you get a chance to try again, but then every month there's another chance for it not to work out. And I think, there are only so many times that you can have the, oh, I'm disappointed this month conversation with each other because it just becomes so, it's like Groundhog Day. For months, when Tracy would get her period, we'd both just cry. And then we got a little bit jaded about it or whatever. It was just, you can't cry every single time. Finally, Matthew was like, okay, I got to do something. We need a mascot. He remembered seeing a website where you could buy these little plush microbes, like stuffed animals, except instead of an animal, you get a little googly-eyed Ebola virus or a fuzzy little brain-eating amoeba. One of the microbes for sale was this little stuffed human egg cell. She was a round white ball of fluff that fits perfectly in the palm of your hand. She had these two big round black eyes and right in the middle of her forehead, a little lopsided pink bow. And I thought, this is perfect. I just went straight on there and knew what to get. It just, I, I just realized like, this is going to be a good thing. Is this thing on? Hello? <laughs> oh, no, Eggie wants to, to get on. I can't hear it. Enter Eggie. Can she hear me? Yeah, she can hear you, Eggie. Who is that? Hi, this is Eggie. <laughs> she really wants to be a star. She does. She's been very excited about this day. Eggie is now a big part of the family. Tracy and Matthew are both Eggie experts. They can both do her voice. But in this conversation, it was mostly Matthew. He'd taken her out of the little teacup thingy that she usually sits in, and he was holding her right up close to the microphone. So, Tracy, when did you first meet Eggie? 
So Eggy came into our lives as a surprise to me. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, she came at kind of a, a time when we needed her. I mean, it was probably six months after we had the miscarriage. And so it was around this time that we were getting this, like, not great news coming back from the tests that Eggy showed up and was sort of, she became this way to kind of, like, in some ways funnel our anxieties through, but also our our hopes and just kind of deal with all of this information that was coming at us. And we wanted to sort of give her some encouragement, you know? Yeah, we did. It's like, you can do it. We were just talking. Like, I was talking to Tracy's belly a lot. Like, you can do it, little egg. You can do it. This is your time. <laughs> and You're the one. Yeah. And, you know, encouraging, like, to find a nice warm spot to settle in or, like, encouraging the, the process to, like, go well. And mm-hmm. it just seemed like having egg there to be able to talk back might, be might be nice mm-hmm. and sort of at times a kind of a conduit to tell us what was really going on in there <laughs> yeah like what like eggy would also talk to tracy's belly <laughs> <laughs> so like she's in there but also she's out here talking to the other eggs and sort of <laughs> telling everybody to like get up it's time you know like <laughs> the whole team like we were trying doing ivf cycles we want as many many team members to be ready and 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 vibrant as possible so she'd give them pep talks but also you know listen and to ask like are there any are there any sisters in there like <laughs> the cysts were i had ovarian cysts uh, one ivf psycho and we were like can you find out are they going away what's going on in there she was like screw you sister get out of here <laughs> what's her personality like um, <laughs> she, oh no, she's giving me a look right now. She's, you know, first of all, I'll say she's very expressive, particularly for just having eyes and no nose or mouth and just like a round white body. Um, but, you know, she first started out, she was very white and sort of fluffy when she first came. She was very scared when she first came too. And, you know, I mean, it's a lot that an egg goes through, frankly, when you think about it. I mean, from like the growing inside the follicle, being recruited, popping out, you go through the fallopian tube, and then you're faced with this whole, like millions of sperm, <laughs> which she was very intimidated by. At, first. Um, <laughs> at the beginning, she was like, what? Um, and kind of didn't know if she could do it. These days, Eggie's more worldly. She's dated around a bit. After all, she's got about, what, 100 million little guys going after her on any given month? Matthew has also ordered a plush sperm microbe for Eggie to hang out with. He's a younger gentleman that Tracy and Matthew call Spermie. Spermie is Eggie's main guy. Also, he's her scene partner for her favorite activity. She loves classic movies, as we all do. And she's a little, um, I was going to say dramatic. A little bit of a thespian? She's theatrical, she's th- for sure. <laughs> she feels things in, a, in an outsized way, I would say. What kind of classic movies have you guys seen with Eggie? Uh, her favorite is probably Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Yeah, I think Whatever Happened to Baby Jane was the first one. And so, you know, after that, we would reenact a scene that, you know, but you are in that chair, Blanche, you are, um, <laughs> with Eggie's Baby Jane, and it was pretty hilarious. That's how she got her middle name, Eggie Jane. 
Her email address is whatever happened to Eggy Jane at <laughs> gmail.com. Um, oh. Yeah, so oh, she has an email address. <laughs> <laughs> well, she had you to sign up for the Facebook account. She has a Facebook account too. <laughs> It's private, though. Wait, can I be friends with her? Is she only friends with you guys? Yeah. Yeah. And Alice. Yeah. Alice is our cat our who cat also Alice. has a Facebook page. <laughs> uh, and, and an Instagram. She's a minor Instagram celebrity. Alice the cat, by the way, has 25,000 Instagram followers. That's uh, way more followers than this podcast has. So um, follow us on Instagram, guys. We'll even post a picture of that cat for you. Anyways, back to Eggy. When Eggy and Spermy started acting out scenes, Matthew and Tracy called it Eggy Theater. And recently, it's gone to a whole new level. I don't know why she started the rap, but eventually we had seen so many <laughs> classic movies that she needed to express them in song form. My name is Eggy Jane, and I'm the creator of a thing you might have heard of called Eggy Theater. Reenacting choice moments from the silver screen. Grab a snack and sit back and check these scenes. Yeah, this is a professionally mixed and mastered rap song from a glorified cotton ball. I'm a little white egg with a little pink bow, but you are in that chair, Blanche, don't you know? You don't like my sick beats, that's a crying sin. You know there's rats in the cellar, better eat your dinner. You know we got rats in the cellar? I almost feel embarrassed listening to the song. Kind of like when you accidentally look under the bed of the family you're house-sitting for. It feels like something that was only meant for the inner sanctum that is Matthew and Tracy's relationship. But it's exactly this kind of playful intimacy, something they're making together that only they really get. It's going to get them through this rough patch. Good job, Egg. Thanks, Mom. In a minute, Eggie's imaginary world expands, and so does the metaphor around her. Don't go away. <laughs> We're back with Matthew and Tracy and Eggie. Matthew and Tracy have been trying to become parents for three years now, and Eggie's been helping out for the past two. Matthew, as we know by now, is this extraordinarily empathetic guy. He feels things in a huge way, especially when it comes to infertility. When I, I, I can see that we're coming to the end of another cycle and it doesn't look like we've succeeded, um... You know, there's no amount of like, I'm sorry it didn't work out or whatever that is helpful. It just doesn't help. If anything, it can just pull you farther down. But like, like Eggie can also be having a, a kind of a stinky day and she can be that extra girl in the, in the room who can, you know, they can like make fun of me together and that kind of thing. And she can be a little like over me as well. So I can try saying a thing and Eggy can be like, turn to me and, you know, uh-huh. we're not ready for you right now. Can you just like, mom and I need a little alone time or whatever. So it's a chance for Tracy to have just a little bit somebody on her team. Matthew can't feel Tracy's period coming on. But Eggy, being a lady egg and all, she can And Eggie can demand a Netflix marathon. 
She can drop a sick burn on Matthew and have a laugh over it with Tracy. She can accidentally get high off the IVF drugs that Tracy's shooting into her belly. She's right, just kind of like hit the ceiling because the meds were hitting her too. <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> Which is really, she liked some of those drugs. She did. She did. But like <clears throat> getting to just sort of feel through it together, it's just so much more fun. And the special skill that Matthew learned as a kid, Matthew's passed it on to Tracy. As the new kid in the clowny family, now that she's been clownified, she gets all the benefits of imaginary friends, too. Because the, the issue or a diagnosis had to do with my eggs, there's something about having her there in her very cute little, little form with her round body and her big eyes and her pink bow. It was sort of this way of, I guess, appreciating my body and not putting so much blame on it like oh she's just she's trying the best that she can she's really she's doing all that she can do and she's got all of this you know energy and hope and everything else so (laughs) you know to be able to say to her you're not a failure is like in some ways my way of kind of mothering myself are you saying my feelings don't really matter mom no i'm not saying that about you (laughs) well i mean you are a part of me that's true yeah as tracy and matthew have been working on making their real world family their imaginary family has also been growing a few months back matthew and eggy went on an adventure to michael's and they came back with a white cotton ball, and a pink bow, and some googly eyes, and had a craft day together. So now, Eggie has a slightly wonky-looking little sister named Schmeggy. She's, uh, she's kind of crunk. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Schmeggy. She's just not right. Schmeggy talks like this! <laughs> After three pretty grueling IVF cycles, Tracy and Matthew decided they needed a breather. So lately, they've gone back to trying to conceive the old-fashioned way for a bit and also starting to think about other options, like donor eggs. Although Eggie doesn't like to talk about <laughs> about those. We were we were talking about donor eggs, and I thought, and Tracy and I would, like, whisper to each other, like, should we look, if we get donor eggs, do we need to get, do we need to get some more Eggies? Like, oh, God, what do we do? It was, like, this weird, <laughs> like, what are we going to, if we get donor eggs, what, how's Eggie going to feel about that? Matthew knew what had to be done. He went back online and found two little stuffed donor siblings for Eggie. They showed up and they're just off in a different way from Schmegs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're just like clearly from a different run. Matthew and Tracy call these Jeggies. It's like, um, you know, the Girl Scout cookies, there are two different factories that make them. And so sometimes they're called different things. Like Tagalongs versus peanut butter patties, and they taste slightly different. The Jeggies are like the from the other Girl Scout factory. Matthew hid the Jeggies from Tracy until Christmas. Then he boxed them up in the same type of cooler that Tracy's IVF meds had come in. So they looked like they'd just arrived from the fertility clinic. There was like a folder that said, uh, you know, congratulations on your new donor eggs. Here they are. And here's a profile of the donor and the whole profile was like all f- pictures of Tracy that I had photoshopped to be just a little janky, you know, <laughs> like so, just kind of wide in the face, yeah. a little jowly. Made her eyes a little too big, and like just kind of gave her a little bit of an extra Wallace and Gromit 
kind of a green, but just a little bit like, eh, a little bit off. According to the pamphlet Matthew made, the egg donor's name was Schmacy, which, okay, you don't need to be a famous couples therapist like Esther Perel to figure out what Matthew's working through here. I just really want Tracy's genetics to be in our child, if at all possible. If if we if if I could just choose only one of us to be a genetic parent to our children, I would choose Tracy every day. It would be just cool to see what kind of a being the mixture of the two of us would be, because um, I think it would be hopefully kind of interesting and creative and funny and a little bit kooky. Matthew and Tracy know that no matter how the biology works out, they're going to love the absolute crap out of any child they raise. And that kid's going to grow up in a world where their creativity is nurtured to the point of flourishing. But for now, this is still something they're figuring out as a family. We would rather not use a donor egg, please. (laughs) (laughs) But if we have to, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think she, you know, she wants to be the one. And we want her to be the one, too. It almost feels like what Matthew used to do as a kid when he made Leonard ask for more ice cream. Sometimes it's easier to let your imaginary friend blurt out that thing that you really want, even when you know you might not be able to have it. For now, the Jackies live in a drawer. And the donor egg plan is also on ice. But if Tracy and Matthew do end up deciding to use donor eggs, they'll work through that as a family too. With Eggy, Schmeggy, and the Jackies, everybody. I know that there's a lot about Eggy and Spermy and the Jeggies and Schmeggy and the whole universe that may not really translate outside of the two of us or is sort of hard to explain to people. But I kind of think that's okay because it's sort of been part of us coming together. And I think having our own language and our own kind of little galaxy in some ways that we're in through this whole process you know, I think for us, it just is kind of part of the world um, that we've created to be able to get through all of this together and intact. I'm just imagining, you know, the whole like lifetime of things couples deal with and how right. many stuffed animals there are in your future. And it's, it's kind of neat to picture that basket of like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you don't know what'll be in your basket. You don't know if there's going to be like cancer scare monkey. Yep. Right. Infidelity zebra. Like you don't know what's coming. There will not be infidelity zebra. <laughs> no. Oh my god. That zebra is in a, has a tough a tough job. <laughs> zebra is not welcoming the family. <laughs> to listen to Eggie's entire glorious rap and to find some more you know, conventional resources for dealing with infertility, you can visit our website, longestshortesttime.com and click on the blog post for this episode. That's episode number 161. And by the way, remember the theme song in our Carberts episode? That was Tracy. In addition to singing backup for Eggy, she also plays with the band Cardboard Ox. This episode of our show was produced by me, Andrea Slenzi with Kristen Clark and Jackie Sajiko. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hilary Frank. Today, we say farewell to Kristen. For the last year and a half, she's produced some of our favorite shows and kept us laughing with her fiercely funny wit. Kristen, we wish you the best in all of your next adventures. 
Our engineer is R. Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Peter Clowney. Hello, hello. Or is that Matthew? It's impossible to tell. We also get editorial support from Antonia Acatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next time on The Longest Shortest Time, we're joined by the former president of Planned Parenthood, Cecile Richards. Why are mothers and daughters just destined to fight about hair? I don't know. Yep, she's talking about her relationship with her mother, the former Texas governor, Ann Richards. Do not miss this episode. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we want to hear your stories. Right now, we're thinking a lot about Mr. Rogers. There's documentary coming out about him. There's a movie starring Tom Hanks ahead. Do you have an interesting or surprising story about the impact Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood had on your life? To tell us, go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the participate tab, and submit your story. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And our show, Unladylike, is back with a brand new season of episodes finding out what happens when women break the rules. We're talking about the big rules, like motherhood. Do you ever feel like a bad mom? When I'm really excited to take my kid to school. <laughs> and maybe the smaller ones, like why it's so freaking hard to get dressed for work. Especially as a, a plus-size woman, you either end up wearing really oversized, uncomfortable formal wear or you dress hyper-feminine. And we're kicking it all off by swiping right with comedian Nicole Byer. Like, I met this guy. He's like, what do you do? And I was like, I'm a teacher. He was like, where? And I was like, a school in L.A. (laughs) But I'm sure he'll be surprised one day when he turns on his TV and he's like, that teacher (laughs) is doing well. (laughs) Find that episode now and be the first to hear all the rest of them by subscribing to Unladylike wherever you get your podcasts. Wait, Aggie, give us a beep. Um, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, chump, no, 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 sorry, take two. <laughs> Aggie, this isn't, just let me try. Okay. Boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom. Is that enough? Uh-huh. Wicka, wicka, what? All right, oh, that's no, enough. Aggie, no. no, Aggie. Mm. La, da, la, da, da, Stitcher. Uh, I say it. Okay. Da, da, da.